Welcome to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. I'm Carol Van Dam in Washington, and here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan this Thursday, March 9th, 2023. A crowd of women pray for peace ahead of a meeting between South Sudan's president and vice president. Today, our coming here for praying, we know that uh, our country is in the situation which is not allowed to women to just sit silent and then sit in the house and just watch what is going on. And Western diplomats urge South Sudanese leaders to make sure that women are taking part in the peace process. The most important and pressing issues facing South Sudan today is the implementation of the peace agreement and more specifically preparations for elections. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. The day after International Women's Day, hundreds of South Sudanese women gathered today at the South Sudan Council of Churches compound in Juba and prayed for divine intervention one day before President Salva Kiir and Vice President Riak Machar meet in person. The meeting was arranged after Kiir fired the SPLM IO's Angelina Tenney as defense minister and placed his ruling party in charge of the ministry. Viola Elias reports for VOA from Juba. sobered as they sang hymns and bowed down to pray to God that the South Sudanese people do not return to war. Last week, in a presidential degree read on state-run television, President Kiir announced the removal of Defense and Veteran Affairs Minister Angelina Teng and Interior Minister Mahmoud Solomon. In another degree, he swapped control of the Ministry of Defense and Veteran Affairs to SPLM in government and the Interior Ministry to SPLM in opposition. Pasca Achai, a member of South Sudan Women's Prayer Link, says women are very concerned about the future of the country. Today, our coming here for praying, we know that uh, our country is in the situation which is not allowed to women to just sit silent and then sit in the house and just watch what is going on. Uh, as we know that uh, uh, the two uh, uh, ref, uh, Salva Kiir and Rangmachar are going to hold a meeting tomorrow because we know that uh, it is God who is putting everything in right. Elizabeth Aya, another woman who attended the prayer service, is urging Kir and Machar to understand the pain and suffering of their people and not allow the country to slide back into war. We are praying to leaders to be leaders who have justice, leaders who are transparent, leaders who know the innocents, and leaders who will support us whenever we are in problems. We were taken by surprise when we heard it in the news about the changes in the government. Attendee Elizabeth Kirsten says women and children have paid the heaviest price during the years of conflict and want the country's leaders to restore peace. We have experienced pain in this country whenever our leaders meet like this or someone has been removed like the Minister of Defense. It can create misunderstanding between them like what had happened before. That is why we are scared and crying to God so that those things would not repeat itself. Lily Richard, chairperson of Women's Prayer Link, says South Sudanese are praying for the two leaders to settle their differences peacefully. 
We are hoping that President addresses the citizens because people are now afraid and people will start running out of Juba thinking the country will go back to war. But we have faith in God that we shall have peace. Rofina Isaac, a representative of a local rights group, Community Empowerment for Progress organization, says she also believes in the power of prayers. Everything we put on God's hands, it will go successfully. We believe that. And especially for us women in South Sudan, we are suffering. That's why the women are the ones who came up with these prayers. They know the suffering and the killings and a lot of burning around the country. These prayers going to help in peace process and it is going to bring for us settlement as we bring unity among South Sudanese. The meeting between Kir and Machar was supposed to take place on Monday last week, but was postponed to Friday. For VOA News, I am Viola Elias in Juba. Some civil society activists and women church leaders say South Sudan is struggling to find lasting peace more than a month after Pope Francis's visit. A SPLMIO official says the Pope's message of peace is under threat after President Kir fired Defense Minister Tenney. A ruling party ministry official says differences between the parties does not mean the country's leaders have forgotten the Pope's message. Manyang David Mayar has more for VOA from Juba. In February, Pope Francis, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, and Moderator General of the Church of Scotland, Ian Greenshields, arrived in Juba on an ecumenical pilgrimage. The church leaders held meetings with political leaders, women, representatives of internally displaced persons, and others, and asked all of them to work for peace. Large billboards bearing Pope Francis' image can still be seen along roads in Juba. But some people here say either the pontiff's words have been forgotten or some of his words have yet to take effect on the leaders of South Sudan. Lily Richard Kenyi, chairperson of the Women's League at the South Sudan Council of Churches, says the pilgrimage of the three religious leaders will be remembered as a blessing to South Sudan and the impact of their visit will be seen over time. For every bad situation, better things will always come slowly, just like sickness. It comes quickly, but after taking medicine consecutively, healing comes. It takes time. The same way, reconciliation will come slowly. Soon, we shall hear good things in our country. Kenya says, while the country navigates toward peace, churches here have become more united than ever before by collectively praying for peace. Some civil society groups say the country's leaders have not taken the Pope's message of peace, love and reconciliation seriously. Edmond Yakani is executive director for Local Rights Group, Community Empowerment for Progress Organization. The level of the impact of Pope's visit and messages to our leaders was not seriously observed. So it's demonstrated by the disagreement that now our leaders are facing. And you can see how in the public domain people are questioning the latest de- the decree of the president. Our leaders have not received the messages of Pope and the impact of Pope's uh, messages on them is very low. And also they have not respected and honored the visit of Pope. Last week, President Salva Kiir fired SPLMIO's Angelina Teng as defense minister and issued another decree swapping control of the ministries of interior and defense. The 2018 peace deal designated that the head of the Ministry of Defense be run by a SPLMIO official and the Ministry of Interior be run by an SPLMIG official. Pog Both Baluang, acting press secretary in the office of the first vice president, says some South Sudanese leaders are betraying Pope Francis' message.
Yeah, the presidential decree and the presidential order uh, issued by the president recently, it is a clear indication that um, the president did not capture messages for peace, unity, and forgiveness. Uh, this is uh, These are the, the messages left by the church leaders. And uh, we believe from our part we have taken those mes- uh, we are taking these messages uh, very serious. Martin Ilya Lomoro, South Sudan's Cabinet Affairs Minister, who also served as Secretary General of the government's high-level standing committee, which oversees implementation of the peace agreement, says the government takes the Pope's message of peace seriously, but says Pope Francis did not play a role in the signing of the 2018 peace deal. Pope Francis was not, was not a mediator in the agreement. He just came to for his love for the people of South Sudan. He knows the potential of this country. He knows that the people of South Sudan have suffered enormously and that they don't deserve any more sufferings. So he came to support us like any other leaders of the region. Lomoro says Kir's decision to fire Defense Minister Tenj and swap control of two ministries are mere administrative issues that requires administrative solutions. These are uh, things that the leadership is fully aware of how uh, it has affected uh, the thinking of people and we are all committed to make sure this is resolved peacefully. This is an internal administrative issue which can be handled by the leadership. President Kir and First Vice President Riyak Machar are scheduled to meet tomorrow. Their meeting has been already rescheduled twice. For VOA News, Amanyang David Mayor in Juba. A group called the South Sudan Women Peace and Security Working Group, co-chaired by the embassies of Norway and Canada, is calling on the national government to ensure what it calls meaningful participation of women in the peace process. Norway's ambassador to South Sudan says including women at all levels of public institutions will help the country prepare for elections. Dengai Deng has the details for VOA from Bohr. In a joint statement released in commemoration of the International Women's Day Wednesday, the embassies of Great Britain, Canada, the Netherlands, Norway and others called on South Sudanese leaders to undertake concrete political and financial commitments to support women and girls ahead of next year's election. Lincoln Neiman Berryman is Norway's ambassador to South Sudan. The most important and pressing issues facing South Sudan today is the implementation of the peace agreement and more specifically preparations for elections and the drafting of a permanent constitution. Both need to happen in the next few months. The working group calls on the government to ensure meaningful participation of women in the peace process. Ambassador Berryman says the women, peace and security agenda has focused the spotlight on South Sudan, especially after the recent International Conference on Women's Transformational Leadership held in Juba. Everyone is aware that women have unique perspectives and experiences. These critical perspectives can often be overlooked in peace-building efforts. Including women and hearing women in the peace process brings a broader range of ideas and perspectives to the table, leading to more comprehensive and effective solutions. Berryman welcomed the government's ratification of the protocol to the African Charter on Human and People's Rights on the Rights of Women in Africa. Julius Egbeyemi, the Child Affairs at the Canadian Embassy in Juba, says South Sudan should also take steps to reduce the digital divide, which is particularly detrimental to rural women. 
the women and girls of South Sudan deserve to benefit from an increased access to digital literacy, a lessened digital divide, and an end to tech-facilitated violence. We hope that today will be an opportunity to create increased momentum for the meaningful inclusion of all South Sudanese women and girls in building a more peaceful, prosperous, and equal society. The embassy's joint statement said women and girls bear the brunt of subnational conflict across the country and women are disproportionately affected by conflict-related sexual violence, gender-based violence, and harmful social norms. It said the 2018 peace deal contains several provisions that seek to uphold the rights of women and girls, including gender purity in public institutions, but delays in implementing the agreement have caused progress on gender equality to stall. For VOA News, I am Dengai Deng in Bor. are listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, a panel that reviews South Sudan's laws says it is quitting its work for now. Find out why after this break. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. Question today. Is there such a thing as unconditional love? The reason why I say it's there, because I've seen my parents and I've seen there is unconditional love in their relationship. Basing on the way like my dad treats my mom, the love is unconditional. No, no, I don't think that. Uh, because uh, human, it is very difficult to predict human beings. So uh, human beings are just unpredictable. Anybody can change at any time. So that's why I, I believe there is no unconditional love. I'm one of the people who believe in real love, and therefore I believe in unconditional love. It exists. It's there. It's been exercised among people. And we have the ability to give unconditional love. So it's there. Uh, honestly, I've not been there before, so I don't know much about it, but a lot of things that I've seen people are struggling to love each other. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. South Sudan in Focus is now on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in Focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. The National Constitution. Constitutional Amendment Committee, or NCAC, says it won't work without funds. The committee in South Sudan wants the government to pay more than $1.8 million in accumulated arrears before it resumes its activities. Waki Simon Wudu has more for VOA from Juba. The committee members say lack of funds makes it difficult to carry out its mandate of reviewing South Sudan laws, which form a key component of reforms as required in the peace deal. The committee officials say it has become extremely difficult to conduct meetings and review or amend the constitution as stipulated in the 2018 peace agreement. 
In a statement released Tuesday, the panel says despite the enema's work involved in a lack of cars to facilitate its activities, the committee has worked for nearly three years without being paid. Committee member Clement Bogonowia says the group is demanding $1.87 million in areas that have accumulated since 2020. Members are not able to attend meetings because they are not being facilitated to come. And of course, for NCAC to be effective, we need to have a forum uh, during our deliberation so that we can be able to debate things and come up with something good for the country. Now we are unable to do that. David Ayuel Machar, who represents the youth in the NCSC, says the group has discussed the request for the payment of its budget with all the necessary stakeholders, including the finance ministry, but all attempts to address the problem have failed. We have exhausted all available effort to resolve the matter. And for that reason, it seems like nothing has happened. Nobody is, is, is talking about it. We are not being informed of what is going on. And it, and it has become very challenging to continue with the mandate of the NCAC. So we thought necessary uh, to cease all operations with immediate effect until the government pays the, the outstanding array of, 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 of the members. IUL says in November and December last year, first Vice President Riek Machar and Vice President James Waniiga of the government's economic cluster issued directives to the ministries of finance and that of peace building to clear the committee's areas, but no action has been taken. We've gone to the Minister of Justice that, that we are working with. We, we've laid our complaints, uh, complaints to him. We've gone to the first vice president who's in charge of the governance cluster and also met with the minister with the first with the vice president in charge of economic cluster, who all these two ordered for our payment. And we've met with the Minister of Finance. There is no any clear objective. Minister of Cabinet Affairs, we've met with him as well. We've also met with the Minister of Peace Building. South Sudan in focus made several attempts to reach the Minister of Cabinet Affairs, Martin Elia Lomuro, the Information Minister Michael McQuay, Peace Minister Stephen Parr, and an official with the Ministry of Finance for comment. However, the efforts were unsuccessful. IUL says since 2019, the committee has reviewed and amended 18 bills and several were tabled in the Council of Ministers and Parliament while others have been approved into law. The 15-member NCAC was reconstituted by the Intergovernmental Authority on Development in October 2018 following the signing of the Revitalized Peace Agreement. For viewer knows, I'm working Simon Wudu in Juba. The head of the Union of South Sudanese Journalists says the media environment in the country is hostile. Patrick Oyet says most journalists in Juba are self-censoring, while others are doing public relations for the government of South Sudan. Oyet says government security agents are also controlling newspaper content. He told VOA's John Tanza in Juba Wednesday that the media environment is worse today than it was in previous years. The situation is uh, not good 
one can say that um, maybe because the recent case we've had is only the one of SSBC where journalists are arrested. So for that reason, somebody can argue that maybe the situation is better. But the situation is not any better because if you have national security officials in, in the printing press whereby they go through the stories and decide that this story should be out, this one should go and so on, then definitely people are not even uh, free to write. Are you seeing? So that's, that's one challenge. Another issue is you may see like uh, uh, the papers come out every morning, uh, the, the journalists are not arrested as I stated earlier, but because the journalists are now fearing to, to write real stories. Are you seeing? Self-censorship. Exactly. Like uh, when Pope came here, the, the, we, we saw some roads being tarmacked very fast, uh, and yet the government says there's no money. We needed to question this as journalists. When the members of parliament from the East Africa came here to play some uh, East African games, they were here and the roads were still being painted. And the question we could ask ourselves is that these things are supposed to be done to beautify Juba before the members of parliament could come. Now they have come and the beautification is going on. What, what happened? Who delayed where? People cannot ask this. Journalists cannot ask this because you fear uh, that you will be questioned or the story will be removed. So what the journalists in South Sudan are doing now is more of a PR for the government. The government has said this, the president has said this, so-and-so has said this, so that you can survive, you see. So the situation is not good but because people are not being arrested and so on, you think that the situation is good. Okay, then come to the issue of the arrest of the SSBC guys. These people have been in uh, detention. They have never been charged. They don't have a file that you can say that, you know, even as we have a lawyer as, as a union. Have party, you visited them? We have tried to visit. We have, we've gone there, but we have not been given access. And uh, even the lawyer has not been given access. Only one among them has uh, had access to the family. Uh, so the rest, they have not even had access to well, we're, the family. We're hearing something like two were uh, released. Is that correct? No. Up to now, no, we, we do not have any information that anybody has been released. Apart from the previous three that were released, the other four, we still do not have any information. So there were seven in number and three were released? Yeah, there were seven in number, three were released, four are still in custody. And the, the ones who were released, did you get a chance to speak to them to understand the nature of their case? No, we, we didn't talk to them intentionally because uh, we know that uh, they are still being monitored and uh, speaking to them or, or trying to meet them would still put them in some kind of danger. So we want to give them as much time as possible, especially the fact that the rest are still in. So we, we don't want to complicate the issue. So we have not met with them. That is Patrick Oyet. He's head of the Union of South Sudanese Journalists, and he was speaking with my colleague John Tanza. Ethiopian government and the Tigray People's Liberation Front, or the TPLF, signed a peace accord in November to stop a two-year war. The deal's been holding, but analysts say it's been marred by gaps that could prevent lasting peace. Darren Taylor has this report for VOA from Johannesburg. Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed sent troops into Tigray in late 2020 after accusing the TPLF of attacking a federal army base. The TPLF had accused Abiy's government of persecuting the Tigrayan people. Human rights groups say all involved in the war that followed committed atrocities, including Eritrean forces on Abiy's side. 
The conflict killed about 600,000 people and displaced more than 4 million and resulted in about 20 million people becoming reliant on emergency aid, according to the United Nations. A team of African Union mediators led by former Nigerian President Olusegun Obasanjo eventually helped secure a peace deal in early November. It has allowed for disengaging from all forms of military confrontation. Ever since signing of the agreement in Pretoria, at least we haven't had serious confrontation like we had had in the previous times. Dismas Nkunda leads Atrocities Watch Africa, which monitors conflict around the continent. He says he's worried the peace deal refers only to the disarmament of the TPLF. If you read it, you can think it's an instruction that is being given only to TPLF, but there are so many other fighting groups that are there within the region. It does not mention the presence of Eritrean forces in the region. It was part of the whole system in terms of attacks on civilians. Nkunda says this is a great flaw that could result in the truce collapsing. The agreement also does not address the questions of territorial disputes between the different parts of the country. It does not have a clear sense of accountability for individuals who have committed various crimes uh, during the two-year conflict. If no one faces justice for human rights atrocities, says Nkunda, they'll happen again. Shuvai Nyoni, director of the African Leadership Center, points out that women in particular were victims, yet appear to have been excluded from the peace process. There were no women in any of the parties to the peace agreement. To have no women is actually a sign of weakness of a process. And I think for me, that is one of the greatest indictments. Of course, the process has not been participatory enough and inclusive enough. That is one of the most glaring gaps, that of the exclusion of important segments of society, in this case, particularly women. The agreement says African experts will monitor its implementation. Nyoni says this is too vague. It's an opportunity for us to actually demonstrate what is meant by the term African solutions for African problems. And for me, one of the biggest gaps is that the agreement does not do that enough. It does not take the opportunity to showcase why this moment, this peace agreement, is an opportunity to bring to the fore African solutions to African problems. Nyoni says the AU has a history of responding to crises and conflicts on the continent yet has been remarkably silent about the implementation of the peace deal. She thinks she knows why. What carrots, what sticks, what mechanisms does the African Union have to ensure that this is implemented? It's not fully spelled out in the agreement. There's a lot of uh, talk about the, just the limitation of resources and capacity within the African Union itself to support such a process. Both analysts say other tensions are simmering in and around Tigray, which could spill into conflict at any time and threaten the peace accord. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. And 
that wraps it up for us this Thursday. Don't forget to check out BOAAfrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. And if you somehow missed this broadcast, just head on over to www.voaafrica.com backslash South Sudan. We now leave you with the song Samira by Abie Jazzband. to Samiria by Abie Jazz Band. And I'm your host, Carol Van Dam in Washington. On behalf of our engineer, Holly Capehart, and producer, Kwame Afore, thanks for joining us today. We'll see you back here tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from The Voice of America.